to confess, I'm very giddy at this moment. Uh, it's not something you normally say out loud, uh, but I was just sitting there as we were worshiping, and I'm just, I'm about to burst with good news. Uh, my sermon today is called New Beginnings, and the good news I want to share is that one of our young adults, Clay, who was a bass player this morning, uh, was baptized, and so... Um, I always say that's like starting off with a home run, so it doesn't matter how I stumble through this, there's already a victory for heaven and angels are rejoicing and had nothing to do with me, but with how awesome our God is and, and as, as we've studied with Clay these last few months that he's been coming to church and had some really good conversations and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat it again, he just said I'm, I'm drawn to be baptized, I know that's what I need to do and that's oh, awesome, so make sure you, you say hello to him, encourage him. Uh, there will be a, a lunch over at the Brick House afterwards for anybody that wants to join and get to know your new younger brother in Christ. So let's fill that place up with everybody from Huntsville Christian Church. So there's your lunch plans. Um, but it's all about new beginnings today. And so we're going to talk about the, the church starting in the book of Acts. We're going to talk, talk about our own new beginnings. And I want you to be thinking about wherever you've been the last few weeks in life, Today may be the day that you start out with a new beginning. Kind of keep that thought in your mind. I want to share with you real quick, there's a book. And it's a small book in comparison to most books. It's only about 100 pages long. It's published by the Department of Justice. You can download it online. It's probably the one book that no parent ever wants to read. The title of the book is When Your Child is Missing. Some of the key bullet points and action steps are actually on the cover of the book. Encouraging things like, you're not alone. Hope is essential. Trust your feelings. Share them with law enforcement officials. Distribute pictures. Keep your focus. Exercise caution. And the final exhortation on the cover of this book is, never stop looking. You may be thinking, what does it have to do with with new beginnings? The reality is this book as it helps parents whenever a child comes missing, it also tells the stories of a four-year-old little little girl named Shelby Marie Cox and and a six-year-old Colleen Nick. And and there's this heart-wrenching story about the parents of Jacob Wetterling who have been searching for him since 1989. They still post messages saying, we're still searching for you. We will never quit. We will never give up. And you may be thinking, what does that have to do with new beginnings? And what I want you to grasp from that is, Parents will spare no expense, as with resolute passion, they search for missing children. And our God is the same way. God has lost children. You you may be one of them. You may have family or friends that, that you would consider lost children. And you know, God has these lost children in our world who have gone the wrong direction. They've lost their bearings. They've lost their place in this life. They've lost their vision for the next life. And God has initiated a massive Three-phase search and rescue strategy, if you will, to find his lost children. That's kind of what the whole story is about that we've been going through this year. And early on in the story, we saw that phase one was Israel as a nation. God wanted a nation through whom he could show his character and to call his people back to himself. And so that was like phase one of God's missing children uh, initiative. The second phase was Jesus Christ. And we just talked about this the last two weeks. Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're lost. And Jesus is the way back home. And by his death on the cross and his resurrection, we can also be reunited with our Heavenly Father. The third phase of God's plan, well, it's you. You as an individual, you as the church. 
The only problem with this phase of God's plan is, well, you (laughs) or us. I don't want to single you out, but the only problem with that phase is us. Because we get caught up in a lot of things sometimes. We get caught up in the what-ifs. We get caught up in things like, what if I'm not good enough, Lord? Well, what if I let you down? What if I stumble? Uh, and today, as we look at the beginning of the church, we're going to also look at our own new beginning. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to come here. Uh, and and as, as we're here, to renew ourselves every time. But, but more than that, I thank you that we have an opportunity that we can come before you at any time and renew ourselves. We don't have to wait for, for one day. I thank you that not only are you a God of new beginnings, but you're a God of second chances, of, of many chances. And I thank you that, that your goal is to restore us back to you, no matter what we've done or where we've been. I pray, Lord, as we look into your word, as we look at the, the church in Acts, the beginning of your church, uh, physically speaking, that we'll... Uh, We'll be able to glean from there how we should act and and what we can do to be a solid reflection of you in our community. It's in your son's name we pray. I want to start off this message with an illustration about new beginnings. And and I want you to understand that wherever you are in life, what you're about to see here is your conversation with God. Have a listen. When God told Moses to go, Moses turned back to God in fear and said, Who are you? I am the first and the last and the beginning and the end. I am. Man, I just don't know if I can do it anymore. You know, you have this plan for me, God, but I'm just really not seeing it. You know, I think I'm just about to give up. I just need some hope. I am. Who could, be, who could possibly be smart enough to figure all of this out? I am. What works? I do. What lasts? I do. What is the latest thing? I am. What's the hippest thing? I am. I really just need a fresh start. I can. And I need a bigger story. I am. Who can help me find the future? I can. Man, nothing just seems real anymore. I am. Who can I trust? Only me. I'm not even sure who's on my team anymore. I am. Nobody listens to me? I am. I don't have a prayer? In me. I just don't know where to turn. To me. I don't know what's going to come in the future. I do. I just can't hold on. To me, you can. I'm pouring into others. Man, but who's pouring into me? I am. What if I fail? I'm here. I'm not even sure why I'm here. I am. I'm just so confused. I'm here. I'm tired. I'm here. I quit. I'm here. I can't. I'm here. I need a friend. I'm here. I just need some hope. I'm here. And also, I just need to be loved. I'm here, and I, just, I will. I just want somebody to hold me. Don't you see? I've been holding you the whole time. Have you ever been there? It's good to know I am. And we're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. Today we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. So go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. I'll give you a little bit of history. The book of Acts is the second of a two-book set, if you will, that was written by Luke. The Gospel of Luke actually describes the second phase of God's plan. God finding his lost children through Jesus. 
And the book of Acts is addressed to the same person. His name is Theophilus. And it describes the third phase. God finding His lost children through the church, through His church. So if you've ever wondered what the church should look like or uh, how the church should act or maybe why we do some of the things we do, this is where you're going to find the directions, if you will, on how to be a church. But better than that, on how to be a church that reflects Christ. A church that reflects Christ to one another and to the world. Acts 1.8 is the theme verse of Acts. Jesus tells His disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples at the time, there were approximately 120 of them. They're waiting in Jerusalem as Jesus commanded them to do. But why, why Jerusalem? Why would He have them wait in Jerusalem? Because the day of Pentecost is approaching. And on the day of Pentecost, there will be approximately a million people in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, stay right here. Don't, don't go anywhere. On the day of Pentecost, this 120 disciples hear a mighty wind and, and they're anointed with tongues of fire as the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. I want to read this from Scripture. We're going to turn Acts chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. P- picture that. How awesome would that be to be a part of that? To The wind rushing in whoosh, and then tongues of fire coming down. And, and this, is, this is how God builds a church. They didn't have Google Translator back then. They, they didn't have some of the apps for that to, to share different languages so eloquently as we do now. So what do you do? God gives the 120 disciples this amazing gift to advance His church. And these, these 120 people, all of a sudden, they become like cross-cultural missionaries, if you will. Right on the spot, without training, without schooling, without you know becoming linguists, they're able to speak these, these wonderful words of God in languages of the world at that present day. Here's the cool thing. Scripture tells us everyone who was there could hear them and understand what they were saying in their own language. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. Now they're, they're, excuse me, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound of a, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? That was a nice way of saying, do they really have the mental intellectual ability to speak my language? Okay, they, they were kind of calling them out a little bit. How, how can you know my language? Verse 8 says, Then how is it each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. We're going to stop there for a second. For the most part, these people, there's basically a million people, they're hearing Jesus' words in their own native language. And for the most part, 
they were amazed at this miracle of languages. But even in today's world, there's always the naysayers. There's, there's always the small group of rebel rousers that when they can't explain something from God, they just throw it out the window. It, it doesn't mean anything. They've, they've just had too much wine. But the reality is what it meant was that God through the Holy Spirit was moving in His people. God was setting up His plan for the church. The burning question, Acts 2.12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? It means that the once Lord-denying Christian persecuting zealot, now turned disciple, i.e. Peter, is instantly filled with the Holy Spirit and he boldly begins to declare the meaning of these events in Pentecost. In short, he says Jesus is alive and he is Lord. But I'm going to share the whole story with you. Verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Way to be a voice of reason, right off the bat. (laughs) And he goes on, he says, No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. You see, they may have not known a lot about the New Testament, because it's being written as he speaks, if you will. But they knew their Old Testament history. They knew the Old Testament books. And he says, this is what was written by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he makes a personal appeal. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. He's bringing out, in my humble opinion, one of the first acts of accountability He's calling him out. Guys, God brought this to you. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he, he brings about one of their favorite sons, if you will. He, he starts to talk about King David. He says, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to them. Excuse me, to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Again, he repeats, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Could you imagine being a part of this message? To be in that audience, to hear these words firsthand. He says, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out 
what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 3,000 people respond to Peter's explanation by repenting and being baptized and becoming the first people in the birth of the church as we know it. Verse 37 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This, this is my favorite part right here. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This massive, diverse, multicultural crowd of 3,000 believers becomes the the unified community known as the church. But what do they do? Here, these brand new people, they've just been baptized, they've just repented, they've confessed, they've done all these things, and here they are, they're now the church. One day they weren't, today they are. Did they form committees? No. Did did they start up ministry teams? No. The plan was much simpler, and I'm not knocking committees and ministry teams and things like that. They, They did that eventually, but right off the bat, Scripture tells us, For the third time today, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. That doesn't mean that they never, you know, maybe had a disagreement, okay? What it means is that the core of who they were as individuals They had everything in common. They had that commonality of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and raised from the dead. That's what they had. And with that, they were able to overcome many things. They sold their property and possession to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How amazing is that? God is finding His lost children and creating a thriving, unified family. The the diversity becomes astounding. Unity by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. Unity means it's not about what I want. It's not about what you want. It's about what's best for God's church. Not what's best for you or for me. What's best for us is to submit to God's will. Fun fact for you. There are no singular pronouns in Acts 2, 42-47. When you read that again, you will not find a singular pronoun in, in those verses, those three verses. So what does that mean? It means that the church is not a collection of saved individuals. It's a community living in unity in the Spirit of God. 
Max Lucado tells a story about an Episcopal priest who became a friend of his. The, the priest's name was Jim Foltz. He was a bishop uh, of his diocese. And, and Jim came to a Good Friday service with, with other pastors, and he was wearing a huge golden cross necklace. And Max admits that he was inwardly judgmental about Jim wearing this big gold cross necklace until he heard the story behind it. Jim served many years in his congregation. And when he became bishop, he had to leave this congregation that he loved and served. And the congregation loved Jim. And they wanted Jim to remember some of the things they had done and the services they had done together and and the relationships and the way he had touched them. And everybody from that congregation donated gold items so that they could be melted down and molded into a cross and given to this bishop. In Jim's cross were melted wedding bands, a friend's ring that was meant for his bride who had passed away, rings from, from widows and widowers, golden add-on beads, even some crowns from teeth. Love to have been a part of that offering day. Hold on! I don't know how that works, but... Over 242 different contributions made up this big golden cross. And with each one was, was maybe a story of pain or peace. And they're all forged together into a cross that, that for Jim always bound up the memory of the people that he served and led. The bishop's cross is a picture, again, in my, my opinion, that, that cross is a picture of what the church should be. It's a picture of what we are when we visit someone in the hospital. It's a combination of what we are when, when we bring a meal to someone, when we hold a hand and pray, when, when a conservative loves a liberal, when a cross... When, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I tried... I was trying to get through that with sincerity. Um, there you go. When a conservative loves liberal, when we cross the cultural lines and we accept and love one another, regardless of skin color or where you're from, when we go to places like Honduras and Zimbabwe and Haiti and Mexico, and, and just we reach out across large distances, when the young people in a church respect the elderly, and when the elderly reach out and encourage the young, this, this cross is forged and, it, and it's visible for the world to see. It may not be big in gold, but they see it in how we live our lives throughout the week. The church, they did that in Acts by meeting together. They would go from house to house, eating meals together, using their homes as places of God's love. Listen to this again, Acts 2, 46 through 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. It, let me pause there. Did you hear that? Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. Do you know where the temple courts were at that time? They were at the temple, just outside. At the church building, if you will. I only point that out because there are many Christians in our world today, and it seems to be kind of a trendy topic, who say things like, they're kind of condescending towards God's plan, and, and towards God's church in the physical sense. They say things like, well, we're going to follow the book of Acts, and we're going to start a home church, and we're going to quit coming to church. And I say, Amen! Our homes should be like many churches. In your home, you should, you should have God in the center of your home. You should worship Him at home with your family and friends when they come by. You should study His Word. But brothers and sisters, don't get caught up in this way of thinking and ultimately remove yourself from God's church. Don't stop coming to the temple courts. 
I get excited when somebody says they want to do church like in Acts. My response is, that's awesome. I'll see you on Monday. (laughs) Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday too. What are you talking about, they say. (laughs) They met together in the temple courts every day. Oh, wait, that's not the part I was talking about in, in the book of Acts. That's not the one. Oh, you meant the part where they broke bread in their homes and ate together. Okay with glad and sincere hearts. Hey, I'm, I'm in on that too. Alright? I'm not against breaking bread. It's not our plan. It's God's plan for us to be a part of. And when you put it all together in context though, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What do you think, or if you're so, what do you use your home for? I think if we used our homes in the same way that we see them using their homes in the book of Acts, just what would this place look like on a Sunday when, when we come to celebrate and worship together? If we're using our homes the way they use their homes in Acts, it's not to remove yourself from the church, it's, it's to bring more to it. What would our community look like? What, what would your neighborhood look like? You see, because they met in homes and they still went to the church, they studied the apostles' teachings, they took care of each other's needs, physical and spiritual needs, the church grew. And, and it spread into Judea, into Samaria, just as Jesus commanded. What keeps Christ's church from spreading into all the world today? It's probably us. You may be thinking you don't know enough or you're not strong enough or you know you don't have the right the time to reach out and share Jesus. But listen, Saul of Tarsus was one of the most feared people among early followers of Christ. He was converted and became a missionary to the nations in the far reaches of the world. You'll read about that this week as you read through the story. And I hope you do. Did you know that a military general's command remains in effect until he issues a new command. Did you know that? I didn't realize that. I just thought the command worked until the the job was over, but it it stays there until the next command. And and I shared with you Jesus' first command in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's saying that to his disciples. It's also very similar to his... His last command that we read in Matthew 28, just before he goes into heaven, he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Holy, or excuse me, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In short, we, we have a command, we have a task that's been left for us. What's keeping you from doing the task that Jesus has asked of you? Are, are you like the little boy named Johnny? Is, is that you? you? You know Johnny. Everybody knows Johnny, right? Yeah, he was about nine years old. He had a sister. Her name was Susie. Johnny and Susie, you remember them? Yeah, she was about three years older than Johnny, so she was a little smarter. The story goes that Johnny and Susie were staying with their grandparents on the farm for the summer, and the first week they were there... Johnny's grandpa gave him a slingshot. Not just any slingshot, 
but a wrist rocket. Fancy slingshot. High-powered slingshot. This thing would sling a rock for miles. It was lightning quick, too. And before long, Johnny was getting really good with the old wrist rocket. And I mean, he had the accuracy. He had an eagle eye. He could knock an acorn right off a branch. He was good. But wouldn't you know it, old tin cans and milk jugs and acorns, they can only keep a nine-year-old boy occupied for so many days. One morning, Johnny was strolling around on the farm looking for things to shoot at. And there it was. He saw it in the distance. His grandmother's favorite duck. Pretty and white, nice yellow, orange beak. It was her pride and joy. It was standing there. It was just the perfect situation. His back was to Johnny. You know, he couldn't see that Johnny was there. And he was standing right next to, the, to this metal shed that had a wood pile beside it. And Johnny just couldn't resist. He thought to himself, if I shoot a rock just over that wood pile, it'll hit the shed, make a lot of racket because of the metal shed. Bang, bang! He's, he's thinking it through. He's planning it's going to hit the shed. It's going to make racket. It's going it's to bounce off and hit the wood pile. It's going to scare the mess out of that old duck. How funny is that going to be? I mean, Johnny had the plan. Well, as luck would have it, he got to thinking about the way this would all play out just as he drew back on that slingshot with a good-sized rock. And he thought about that duck's reaction, and he giggled a little inside. Well, I guess that giggle caused him to shake because when he let go of that rock, it, it missed the side of the shed. It missed the wood pile, but, man, it hit that duck right square in the back of the head. Killed it right on the spot. I don't mean kind of dead. I mean dead, dead. Like, there's no bringing this joker back. Well, Johnny looked around and he decided he would do what any self-preserving nine-year-old would do. He put the duck behind the wood pile and covered it up with some leaves and sticks and some small pieces of wood. And he cleaned it all up. No trace of the crime. Got rid of the bloody rock. I mean, CSI would be hard-pressed to find what happened. But he missed one small detail. His sister Susie. She saw the whole thing. And being older and wiser, she quickly realized how this could work to her advantage. Case in point, that evening as dinner was being prepared, Grandma said, who wants to set the table for me? Susie said, Johnny does. He looked at her. She said, I know about the duck. If you don't help, I'm going to tell. Johnny went and set the table. <laughs> Who wants to clear the dishes and help me wash them? Johnny does. Remember the duck. And for the next three weeks, his summer vacation was anything but. Everything Susie didn't want to do, she would simply remind Johnny, remember the duck? She was having a great summer. Johnny, not so much. Kept going. And in order to keep the story of his sin safely hidden from Grandma, he would do anything Susie said. All she had to say was, remember the duck. Finally, Johnny came to a breaking point. He went to his grandparents, tears in his eyes, wrist rocket in his hand, trying to give it back to him, just, just squalling. I killed your duck, Grandma. Tears, big tears. I'm sorry. It was an accident. I just, I just wanted to scare it and shoot a rock at the metal shed, but instead I hit him right in the head. He died. I, I, 
I hid it, I hid it behind the wood pile and, and covered it up, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know you love that duck. Grandma and Grandpa told him, we know. We saw the whole thing from the kitchen window. And, and we forgive you. And you can even keep the wrist rocket. We just can't figure out why you would let your sister hold that over you so long and be a slave to her over a duck. Reality is, like Johnny, we're all duck killers in some sense. You just look back on this week and pick us in. And Satan, he's like Susie, always reminding us about that sin, about that duck. We go to do something and Satan says, remember the duck. Maybe you go to to share accountability with someone and Satan whispers, remember the duck. Who are you to reach out to that person in accountability? Remember the duck. I told you earlier, the title of this message is New Beginnings. Brothers and sisters, we can never be like the church in Acts. We can never have a new beginning as long as we allow Satan to remind us of the duck. We can never be like the church in Acts when we forget who our I am is. Louis Giglio says when he talks about what he's able to do, he says, I am not, but I know I am. And it's true for each of us. We may be inadequate in many ways. I may have every reason not to represent Christ like like in the skit at the beginning of the message. It's a very true statement. I am not. And on my own, I can't do it, but I know I am. We can't do our job as Christians when we're worried about the duck. When we forget who I am is. It's time to forget about the duck. It's time to remember that our God is I am. He already knows about the duck. He'll forgive you for the duck, no matter what it is. But how long will you let Satan control you over the stupid duck? We need to forget the duck. Don't let Satan control you over past mistakes. In case you missed it, I'm talking about the duck is sin. Just want to make sure we're clear on that. If you truly want to be a reflection of Christ, you need to forget about the duck. It's time to come clean. That's one of the cool things about the church at the very beginning. They all knew they were messed up. Paul told them so. This Christ, who God brought to you, you with evil men crucified Him. You killed God in the flesh. Listen, there's, I can't think of something worse than that. And I know some really messed up people, but man, that was it. He's calling them out. You did this. Forget about it. It's time to come clean. As we come to our response time this morning, it's time for you to forget about the duck. You need to do whatever it takes to lay that down. Don't let Satan have that binding power over you because that's what Christ died for. That's why He rose again. He defeated that. If what you need to do to move away from your sin, maybe your first step is baptism. The baptistry is ready. And... and Man, I'd love to have two or three more baptisms today. If you need to repent or you just need prayer, the elders are here. They'd love to pray with you. I'll even go on to tell you, maybe you don't want to come up here in front of everybody and and pray with the elders about something that's going on in your life. Every Sunday morning around 9, 10, there's an elder or two in the library and they're praying for you whether you want them to or not. So if if you've got something, there's an opportunity for you to come and share.
the elders are here, they'd love to pray with you anytime. Whatever you need to do, Johnny, you're not alone. But it's time to forget about the duck. Will you stand and sing our response song with us and respond accordingly? Do whatever you have to do to stop Satan from constantly whispering in your ear. Remember I am and forget about the duck. Will you sing this? It's been great to be here and to worship with you all this morning, but now it's time to go. As you go this week, go and consider how we can be like the church in Acts. Make a new beginning this week. Study God's Word in your home. Invite your neighbors in. Meet someone's need this week. Seek out how you can be the hands and feet of Christ and come back next Sunday to worship and share what God has done in your life. Most importantly, as you go this week, forget about the duck and cling to your I am. One last thing. There will be no Sunday night fusion or Sunday night church tonight and there'll be no men's group meeting tonight, but the women are still meeting. Mm -hmm. Didn't want anybody to forget that or get that crossed up. Sing this last song with us.